the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where would we be where would we be welcome to the state of the theory podcast i'm hannah I'm an Indian. And we are your theory doctors. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, Emma? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. It's a bit stormy here in Scotland this week. Yes. Uh, we are sitting inside and watching the trees blow about in Storm Caroline. So what are we talking about today? Today, uh, well, this week is the 25th anniversary of the Bobri Mosque in Ayodhya. Yes. Demolition um, of. The demolishing of. Um, and we wanted to talk about this partly because we think that some of our audience, of course, is very familiar with this history, yes. but other parts of our audience might be interested and not yes. yet familiar. So we, this is kind of a mashup episode in order to get some content in. Yeah. And, and sort of do what we have done in the past a little bit, which is to take multiple stories and explore the connections between them and the dissonances between them. So, 6th December 1992, in the northern Indian town of Ayodhya, uh, a 500-year-old mosque, uh, apparently, allegedly, uh, set up in by, in the memory of uh, the first Mughal emperor, Emperor Baba. Uh, the Babri Masjid was demolished by allegedly demolished, demolished by a group of Hindu fundamentalist activists from the VHP, which is the Vishwa Hindu Parishad, and their political wing, the BJP, the Bharatiya Janata Party. Uh, at this point, the BJP had never been in significant power, certainly in central government. Uh, and this this moment then marks the seemingly irresistible rise of Hindu nationalism, Hindu fundamentalism, across India, or large parts of India, um, in in the 25 years since. Yes. Notably in the very early 2000s. Um, the, this particular event is quite often remembered for the, the violence around yes. it, not just the demolishing of the building yes. itself, but of the riots yes. that took place around it. Yeah. Um, and certainly... And in response to the demolition of... Yes. 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 Um, and so the, the, the language and um, story of communal riots carries through yeah. to various yeah. various points in recent Indian history, um, some of which involve current government yes. officials, allegedly... Does yes, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, um, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of op-ed pieces, think pieces across both mainstream and alternative media, both in India and and in the West over the last couple of days, pointing to this moment as a moment when when something changes in in the Indian national public fabric of society. You know the 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 kind of Lib, sort of muscular liberal secularism that seemed to be part of the nation building project since independence 
starts to unravel or the moment when its unraveling is made most visible earliest is this moment. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about why this site, why this mosque? So, um, it depends who you ask. Uh, The people who believe that the mosque should have been demolished or people who believe that the mosque was there illegitimately believe that Ayodhya is the birthplace of uh, the Hindu half-god, half-man avatar Ram, who's the the central character, the protagonist of the Indian epic, the Ramayana. Ram being a, a prince, becoming king, who fights the evil uh, god, king of Lanka, and actually that is the name that is used, so this is the god, the king of Sri Lanka, who's presented as a devil, demon. Yeah, demon. Um, Ravana. Yes, with you know, levels of racism there are, are hideous. Uh, so yeah, as far as anyone knows, there was no historical person called Ram. Uh, there is, there's certainly no evidence that there was a historical character called Ram, and less, even less so that that this historical person may or may not have been born in this in this particular place. But because of this story, uh, the 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 voices on the Hindu right who in the early 90s were still seen as on the fringes of public life and in the years since have very much come to the centre of public life believe that the mosque was there illegitimately. It was built in, in built by invading Muslims who allegedly destroyed a temple that was there before and they've always wanted to destroy the temple, destroy the mosque and rebuild the temple uh, devoted to Ram. Ram is their big, uh, their big sort of rallying figure, the figure around, around whom they rally um, for various reasons. Ram's detestable politics in, ter- in terms of the, the epic, the character's detestable politics in terms of caste, race, misogyny, um, class, uh, are all positions that the Hindu right find very comfortable. And the the current position of the structure itself and the site itself is still disputed. Um, in a ridiculous uh, Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court of India a few years ago decided that yes, the claim, the Hindu claim that this was the birthplace of Ram, is legitimate, which it's fascinating is embarrassing. It it would be it would be equivalent to. A British court of British court of law saying Arthur's seat in Edinburgh was the place where Arthur grew up. You know, I mean, it's 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 that level of ridiculous. The idea that uh, almost certainly legendary, or or saying that Robin Hood was born in Nottingham. You know, the the the, the fact that the Supreme Court can make such fundamentally ahistorical. Uh, uh, ridiculous decisions is is shameful why does this story interest you and when did you first approach it i first encountered it in a class at barnard in my first semester at barnard um in the religious studies department it was in a class on hinduism and the instructors of the course, one of whom is a, a very well-established and famous professor of Hinduism and religion um, at 
at Barnard and the TA who was an exceptional historian and religious studies scholar from India. She, this was in 2006 when there was a very important election. Um, the BJP and the Congress party were contesting um, quite, and it was quite close. It was quite serious. It was quite scary. And I remember she would talk about how kind yeah. of, um, on edge they felt um, and they were very yeah. very secular yeah. liberal yeah. left leaning yeah. um, as were many of the, yeah. the South Asian academics that I knew at yeah. Barnard in Columbia yeah. and this particular aspect of Hinduism was studied as a, a piece of Hinduism yeah. that is at the time, of course, because the Congress Party eventually won mm. those elections yeah. and took a majority in the, the Indian government, mm. was still seen as being a, a kind of troubling, yet interesting and still minority mm. kind of fringe set of Hindu politics. Mm-hmm. Um, its its role in terms of a mainstream yeah. Hinduism was yeah. still minor. Yeah. And this particular case study I found really fascinating and Mm. it reminds me very much of similar contestations in the United States over monuments, land, um, historical sites, and ultimately the narratives that get told about the significance and symbolism of those sites and there is, when I mean, we talk a lot about the, the connections between the right wing in India and the right wing in, in the United States, um, Trump and Modi are the end, well, hopefully the end points of that. But the, um, the rhetoric and the discourse yeah. is very interestingly similar in many ways. So give me an example. Well, there's a current, there's current discourse around Confederate monuments. Yes. And... Interestingly, the president of the United States, for the first time, has gotten involved very much in in these yeah. debates um, on Twitter, which yeah. is now a key policy making venue. Yes. At it, which is fascinating, but he's gotten really involved, and so a lot of this rhetoric has had has been amplified yeah. because of his platform, um, and. There is, there has long been a desire on the left to get rid of, replace, um, make invisible this the visual signs and artifacts of the Confederacy. Yeah. Particularly because a lot of those monuments yeah. either implicitly yeah. or very overtly celebrate. white supremacy and slavery and the the enslavement of Africans and African Americans and the the debate has come to the fore recently in part because of Trump and and the kind of um, mobilization of the alt-right particularly in Virginia in other places in the South as well. And it's interesting because I'm removed from both of these contexts in many ways because I'm from California. We have our own 
Mm. We definitely have our own issues and and debates about land, Mm. um, but they're different from these debates about the Confederacy. Mm. And um, the the left response, we talk about this, what is the appropriate response for the left? It seems to me that in, in relation to the history, there are three distinct positions which we might describe as sort of left, right, and centrist. So when when the right in both America and India seeks to, in America, defend the Confederate statues and in India destroy the mosque and replace it with the temple, the right is deploying a particular narrative to do with the majoritarian history, right? That the the connecting the nation as it is today with its majority population as it is today and linking the two so that India becomes Hindu, America becomes white. And in that context, the mosque needs to be demolished because it is un-Indian, it is anti-national. The confederacy needs to be protected because it is American and to, to, to protest against it is to, is to be un-American. What's fascinating is the internal contradiction yes. there, of course, because... Yes. Um, one of the and there is a a, a fundamental yeah. um, contradiction at the heart of American white supremacy, yes. which is that th- the central the federal government, yeah. the actual yeah. legislative and judicial heart yeah. of the nation, isn't the legitimate government yes. Yes. of the nation, yes. and that. And the Confederacy was the kind of the testing the limits of that position, yes. Yes. and over the issue of slavery. Yeah, and the Confederacy law lost, yeah. and so there's this kind of this strange equating of the Confederacy with with the with true America, yeah. even though it has never actually existed as yes. Yes. an alternative America. It's yes. never won yeah. that position at all. Yeah. And that the what's interesting is the left response, which I tend to position myself near to, to remove Confederate monuments or to do something to modify them in order to make clear that they are telling a different story than the one that they currently tell, um, is you know it is to destroy the monuments. Yes. Which is the same sort of act yes. that the right yes. in India has, yes. and and this, the one way in which those contradictions ca- are often resolved unsatisfactorily, in my view, is a kind of centrist position that 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 argues against destruction of any kind of monument to say that we can't replace the statues because we'll forget history and we need to have them and we need to have everything because if we don't have everything then we'll forget history. Uh, apart from anything else, it seems to me that this is a world that doesn't know that textbooks exist and books exist. Uh, and that's a very selective yeah, take because, yeah. of course, there are plenty of instances in, yeah. happening right in front of our eyes yeah. that seem to indicate that everyone has forgotten history, yes. particularly the history of the 1930s in Europe. Yes. yes. Um, so in this, in, in this position, when faced with... A, Okay, how can I phrase this? My view, 
and you may not, may not agree with this, is that in both the case of the of India's Hindu history and the history of the Confederacy in America, the right is not really interested in that history. In other words, the right is using the history to for specific political positions in the present to do with oppressing minorities and turning changing the fabric of the nation and, and so on and so forth. I would even take it one step further yeah. and say absolutely and that actually what they're trying to do is yeah. create a vision for a, fu- a future. Yes, yes. A vision for a future that is a white America and a Hindu India. Yeah. So faced with that, what do you think is a better strategy for the left? Is it to say actually no, that's a fundamental misreading of history or to say even if your version of history is right, then what you're doing in the present is still wrong. And I'll use a specific example. So I mentioned before that there was an alleged temple in the place where the Babri Masjid, the mosque existed up until 92. Uh, If there was a temple, that that temple wasn't there for 500 years. The mosque, mosque exists there for 500 years. Now, the, 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 the historical evidence for any kind of temple, any kind of birthplace of Ram, as I said, is, is virtually non-existent. In that sense, in that case, is the left better off saying, you are wrong, there is no historical evidence for this? Or is the left saying, is the left better off saying, even if there was a temple there, we should still rebuild the mosque because the mosque has been there for 500 years? You see what I mean? Like, are we, are we better off trying to work towards a more accurate view of history, or are we better off trying to explicitly use our narrative of history to do what the right is doing, except opposite? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, either way, I feel like, and, and this is so hopeless, and it's probably just the the um, reflection of my current mental state and lack of of political imagination right now either way the right wins yeah because either way they can say so in the first instance they can say well we you know we don't care about facts yeah because facts are socially constructed and therefore they aren't real and therefore they're all equivalent uh so we don't care about your history because we don't like it yeah and because we don't like it means that our the version we like is just as valid because we like it yeah that's and so in that way, their narrative continues to win because yeah. you're not playing by their rules yeah. and so they don't yeah. play with you. Yeah. The other side, you you jump into their narrative with them, yes. do battle with them on their terms, yeah. and their narrative still has, still gets yeah. legitimized. Yeah. yeah, so I have often wondered and I've, I've had conversations with people where people have said this, though it's... It's not a particularly popular view even among the left in India, which is to say that the the proper response of a properly defined secular left that is interested in protecting the rights of minorities, the proper response of such a left to the 1992 demolition of the Babri Mosque should have been the mosque needs to be rebuilt. And the left hasn't really said that. At any point, the left has talked about, you know, reducing violence and talked about protecting the rights of Muslims and all of those things. But the left has, generally speaking, I think, shied away 
from a, what would be in a Hindu majority in India a particularly incendiary position to say you destroyed the mosque we need to rebuild it rebuild it now um, and of course that position were, were the left to adopt that position is taking a, a much stronger uh, position vis-a-vis the, the you know the relativism of history versus the 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 accurate more accurate version of of a past um i don't know does the does that it it, it sort of uh it is in a very different way it reminds me a little bit of do you remember the mosque at ground zero that wasn't wasn't a mosque and wasn't yes. at ground zero yes <laughs> And, and the, the, the mainstream left in America didn't feel able to make that case loudly enough. Yeah, so my position yeah, there, yeah, and the, yeah. I think this is a, exactly the same, because yeah. I had, you know, I had yeah. a, a very strong position there. Yeah. My position there is, even if it was a mosque, yeah. and even if it was on top of Ground Zero, and it never was, you know, the yeah. story was that it was, like, down the street. Yeah. And, and it wasn't a mosque. And I mean, yeah. Like said, and even yeah. if it was right there, yeah. and it was a mosque, yeah. that seems yeah. like a perfectly fitting yeah. um, response to nine yes. eleven, which is that, the, which was one of the the left responses, yeah. which is that this isn't true Islam. Yes. The terrorist yeah. Islam isn't real yeah. Islam. Islam is yeah. peace. You know yeah, that kind yeah, of. Yeah. Um, and that is a, a, yeah. a leftist yeah. position. And even yeah. one that, that the right mobilizes every once in a while. Yeah. George Bush definitely yes. did it a few times. The, the, good, the good Muslim, the bad Muslim, the good immigrant, the bad immigrant. Yeah, and that, so and yes. that true Islam yes. has a place yes. in, in American yeah, yeah. society. Yeah. And that true yes. good Muslims have yes. a place in American society. And so even if you take the story at its most literal, yeah. having a mosque at ground zero is... Yeah is a, a perfectly legitimate liberal response yes. that fits into a national narrative. So is it that, to to revisit your point about the right always wins, is it is it that in our particular historical moment the ascendancy of the right seems so inevitable that there is a lack of political imagination on the part of the left? Or is it that the left seems to be always already defeated? In other words, the left left seems to be scared of making these apparently unpopular positions and then sticking to them with a certain type of courage. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I've I often think of the left as yeah. being a collection yes. of kind of shared, overlapping yet yeah. distinct visions of a better yeah. future. Yeah. The right has it really easy yeah. because they can call back upon one single consistent, easily packaged and yeah. digested mm. story of a traditional past because yeah. the past has already happened. Yeah. And, you know, historians sit and debate about like the minutia of historical detail. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I discuss, you know, the, the winner's history versus a real history. But ultimately... Yeah. The, the general story of the yes. past has been written, yes. but the left is dealing with alternative visions of the future, and a lot of the debate on the left comes from... So, I mean, we've just talked about how the right is dealing with alternative versions of the future as well. Uh, but they have one. Oh, they have... They yes, have one, yes, and that yes. one is is to reinstate 
that single past. That imaginary single past. That imaginary single past. And they have that story in there. It's a shared story. Yeah. Whereas the left is... doesn't and one of the, the productive aspects of the left and I think one of the reasons that you and I intellectually enjoy yeah. having yeah. left position yeah. relatively left positions is because it fosters debate and dialogue and a coming together to yeah. together imagine futures that are better and that yeah. fundamentally doesn't work when you yeah. have to mount a single defense yeah. of, you know, human rights <laughs> when yeah. confronted with a right-wing story yeah. because the two are fundamentally different projects. I think that's, that's, that's really, really fascinating and, and, and really true. And I guess one particular example of this problem of the left in this particular instance is the problem of secularism which is how are we defining secularism? Are we defining secularism in... defining secularism to mean government should recognize no religion? And that leads to, for example, things like the hijab ban, you know, or, or the ban, of, ban on wearing, or on publicly expressing religious identity. Or are we defining secularism as the public fabric of the nation dedicated to protect the religious rights of everybody, including the minorities. And I don't think the left has quite figured out what it should do. No. No, and in yeah. fact, a lot of the the work happening on the left yeah. is about these kind of internal battles. Yeah. And the right exploits those battles quite explicitly. Yeah. They see them and exploit the rhetoric and exploit the the so-called divisions in order to push their own position forward which is clever but also not that difficult Um, I mean if you look at where the what's happened with the Labour Party in the last two years in the UK this is really what's happening there's a really interesting productive debate happening in the Labour Party right now about how you represent how you represent British voters in yeah. a way that they're they want to be represented when in yeah. fact you have different competing ideas of mm-hmm. how Britain should look on the left. Yes. Should it be should it be a socialist yeah. closed system? Should it be a pseudo semi socialist yet still yeah. globally connected system? Yeah. Should it be you know, what how do minority rights fit into legislation yeah. and policy making. Yeah. The shared value is, yeah. you know, Britain is a multicultural, diverse yes. place with people of all faiths and backgrounds. Yes. And that is a reflection partly of of imperial power. Yeah. And there's questions about yeah. inclusion and exclusion yeah. there. But how you go about doing that, there's fundamentally different positions on the left. And, and, and especially focusing specifically on the on the monuments issue which is how do you counter a narrative a narrative on the right that tries to depict a history that has not been a history of multicultural diversity and do you because you know it hasn't always been that necessarily and if it hasn't then should the left try to make 
make the case that diversity historically has been underplayed and countries like Britain, America, whatever, were always have always been more diverse than the right thinks it was, which has been made. I, I, I'm thinking yeah. specifically about Mary Beard uh, and the, the yes. Roman history, multi, a multiracial history of, of the Roman Empire, as it were. And then you, you are in getting into debates about, you know, how did the Romans think of themselves in terms of racial identity? Or do you make the case that, fine, even if we accept that well, Brit- British history, for example, hasn't always been racially diverse, that's beside the point. It is now and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, to what extent should, can the left jettison narratives of history in order to make a make a case for uh, a, a, a positive case for a certain view of the nation in the present and in the future? Does it have to be connected to monuments? Does it have to be connected to the past? It's a it's a really hard question. Mm-hmm to answer really um, the left struggles with um, expertise yeah. and and this question of kind of academic and research based and, and evidence based arguments because it doesn't those arguments don't fit neatly into political yeah. discourse necessarily and there is an a part of the left that does prioritize and preference that kind of thinking, yeah. but not always and not in every instance. Ultimately, I don't think the the framework of, of thinking in progressive terms allows for a single narrative. Yeah. At, at and of course, point. the right can, ex- as you said, the right exploits that. And they absolutely do exploit yeah. that, right? One of the one of the very successful conservative positions until quite recently was to say the Labour Party is in a shambles. The Labour Party has no central or cohesive agenda. And it's like, well, why they're the opposition. Yeah. And when they do have a stable, coherent agenda, then it becomes dictatorial, right? Then it becomes absolutist and all of those things. You you don't tolerate dissent. You don't don't tolerate freedom of expression and all of those things. Um, Which are fundamentally a part of a con- the conservative agenda, yes. but yeah. the the liberal agenda isn't the same. Yeah, it's a different a different framework for dealing with dissent and debate and yeah. argument. And it seems to us at the moment that yeah. the right is is winning, winning that battle. Yeah. I'm. I'm, I'm interest in something that you raised, I think, before we started recording, which is the, A, the similarities in terms of discourse between the left's dismantling of the Confederate statues and the right's destruction of the Babi Mosque. And you, you use the word performative. Yes. Um, th- there's a, a, a kind of performance in the destruction of these, these, um, these monuments and these places of worship. So... If we are, which presumably we are, trying to make a left-wing case for supporting one and criticizing vehemently the other, can how do we go about doing that? What is precisely is the difference between the left saying that statue of a Confederate general should come down, or the statue of Cecil Rhodes in Oxford should come down, versus the right saying 
the Babri Mosque should be demolished. Yeah, well, it has to do with the position of the minority yes. in the debate. Yes. And it's about the protection of and the, um, you know, who's being silenced, yes. who's being, um, whose story is is being written out or written over. And it, Confederate monuments in the South write out the story yeah. of slavery and yes. black Americans. Yes. And civil rights as well. And civil rights. Yes. And the what is interesting is that civil rights monuments or monuments to slavery yeah. um, have the capacity to tell that whole story. Yes. So if you replace Confederate monuments with monuments about slavery, yeah. monuments about... Um, Slave rebellions, yeah. monuments to particularly famous slaves who were instrumental in changing and undermining yeah. the system. Yeah. You, you also tell the story yes. of the Confederacy, yes. and by insisting on keeping a statue of Robert E. Lee yeah. versus replacing him with a statue of Frederick Douglass, yes. you're insisting that the yeah. black history yeah. isn't American, yeah. should be silenced, should be written yeah. out, or is yeah. inconsequential, or yeah. shouldn't exist. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in, in you know, in yeah. Ayodhya, you have, by removing a, a Mughal mosque, yeah. you are erasing and trying to destroy the history, a particularly important... Yes piece of Indian history of the Muslim minority in India. Which I obviously absolutely agree with that, that analysis. The problem is how then do we counter the right when the right says it's the, you know, the minorities are in the ascendancy and it's the majority that is weak and vulnerable and needs to be protected. Which is blatantly not true. But what, what kind of evidence does one marshal to argue against the white majoritarian argument that says it is us who are being the real victims here. Yeah, which of course the, the, the Hindu, Hindu right does exactly. very well. The and, Hindu right yes. does that very well. And the the what is now called the alt-right, yes. the fascists in America yes. do that very yes. well. The, a feeling yes. of vulnerability. It's an interesting trick that they use really, one that we've talked about before a lot, the way that the right activist as well. Yeah, the way that the right appropriates yeah. the kind of loose language of <clears throat> post structuralism and social constructivism in order to argue that yeah. they themselves are affected. Yeah. I mean I don't know. Ultimately yeah. I don't know what to tell a men's rights activist. Yeah. Um I, I, with the exception of and sometimes I just do this if it happens, yeah. I just say, Do you believe that I am biologically, mm. spiritually, and, yeah. you know, essentially inferior to you. Yeah. And at that point, they can yeah. either say yes or no, but yeah. either way, they will undermine yeah. their own position. But that's as far as you... As because ever... the, the problem... And you could, we, could, we could substitute men's right activists, alt-right in America, Hindu right. I think that they all do the same thing, which is to say, 
No, I don't. I just want it to be a level level playing field. And at the moment, you as a woman are better off, or you as a Muslim are better off. And it seems to us, to anyone on the left, that, that the blatant untruth of that seems clear. But having had many, as you know, many Facebook arguments with various people on the right, I always struggle to marshal an argument that even if, and there's something performative about a Facebook argument, right? You're not mm. necessarily arguing in order to change the person's mind, but you're arguing because you know this is a public space and these opinions should be counted. And it's difficult to know how to do that. How, how can we most effectively counter the argument of the majority, majority, whether it's male or Hindu or white, saying, I'm the real victim here? It's interesting. I mean, you so you've, you've brought up some examples and the performance aspect is really important and I think part of it is the performance is different yeah there's two different things being performed here one is on the the kind of the left the performance is one of dialogue and debate and argument for productive reasons and either to kind of shift a position whether it's your own or the other position or both yeah um and on the right, the performance is one of victimhood yes. and provocation. Yes. The troll. I yes. mean, you take it to the, the logical endpoint, the troll, which is a, the performance is a fundamentally different thing. Yes, yes. And therefore, the the rules of the game don't match up. It's, yeah. you know, someone is, someone's playing Grand Theft Auto and yeah. someone is playing Modern Warfare yeah. 3 and... You, there's no yeah. bridging that gap. Yes. Which makes for difficult... It, it makes for difficulty in trying to identify political strategies. If you, if, you, if you still want to hold on to discourse as a valid, important political strategy, whether or not you're trying to change the mind of the person you're arguing with, it's still hard. It's still hard to say anything other than look at India. It is obvious that Muslims are persecuted. You know, look at the world. It's obvious that patriarchy is a thing. And when someone says, actually, no, patriarchy is not a thing. And you go, well... uh, Really? Yeah. But that doesn't help. Yeah. This is ending on a depressing note. Yeah. If you've solved these problems in your own community, tell us how. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it's following on a little bit from our previous episode about families and and political discussions and, and and my sort of slightly naive take on the importance of holding on to political debate as a, as an important thing. Um, Except how do you do that when you're faced with an adversary who doesn't believe in the rules? And you sort of saw that. You sort of saw yeah. that in even even in something as sort of the Clinton-Trump debates where it was clear that Clinton was trying to model her campaign on a conventional presidential campaign. Yeah, rules. And Trump just wasn't. And I think that as much as anything else explains the result of the election because the the left 
or certainly the mainstream American left, hasn't quite figured out what its playbook is when you are facing with a Trump campaign as opposed to a John McCain campaign or a Mitt Romney campaign or a George Bush campaign. Yeah. It's like the kid when you and your friends are at after school care, story of my life, when you and your friends are playing with the Legos. Yes. And the the one kid comes up. I always remember it being a boy, but, you know, yeah. any yeah. child yeah. Yeah. comes up and kicks your yeah. Lego tower over and then storms off. Oh, there's so much pain in that memory, isn't there? There is. And it's, <laughs> it's it happened more than once yeah. um, in various guises. Um, and the the sort of um, lackluster and yeah. unenthusiastic response yeah. of the teacher yeah. who says, say sorry, but doesn't, f- doesn't force any sort yeah. of like meaning or sincerity yeah. into yeah. it. And it's just like, great. Yeah. The politics here are not on my side yeah. because ultimately he wins mm. and we have to rebuild. On that note. On that note, talking about (laughs) rebuilding. Um, Yeah, let us know what you think. um, And we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians. And this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?